Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, how are you, sir? On cloud nine, maybe 10 if we have one. Why is that? Do do tell. Well, uh, who the ladies are back in town and they've got some hardware with them. I set up, Kathy and I set up all Monday night, watched the entire thing, including the shootout. I don't profess to understand much about soccer. Never have. You've called the game. Uh, Jen Hildreth was on the call for ESPN. I had the privilege of working for her with her for two years on the Fox package I did way back in the day. Uh, and I was just excited. I was just a regular fan, just cheering, and I was happy. All Florida State fans were. It was a great victory and a true dynasty now, three national titles in the last eight years. We'll catch up with the soccer story coming up in our next segment. But if we go bigger picture right now, Keith, I thought it was interesting last week when we had a new coach at USC and Brian Kelly going to LSU and lots of rumors floating around and Billy Napier to Florida. But now we have Mario Cristobal to Miami. So all that smoke turned out to be a legitimate fire. Miami got its act together at least enough to collect some dollars to handle buyouts, put some contracts in place, and get a new football coach. And depending on who you believe and what story you want to ascribe to, and maybe next year, five years, somewhere down the road, when uh, Mario, Coach Cristobal, pins his own uh, biopic or whatever we want to call it, there appeared to be some hurt feelings and there appeared to be some last minute things. And Miami was hanging on to coach Diaz for as long as they could, but they had previously dismissed their athletic director, but then they put out an offer to coach Cristobal, but evidently it had a time frame on it. And then the folks in Oregon got a little uh, uh, annoyed that, that Mario was even talking to Miami. So they had something on the table or maybe close to on the table and then they pulled it. And oh my gosh, this will make for great reading if we ever hear about it. Keith, you're suggesting that you thought everything would be above board by the book, by the letter of any contract. And this is college athletics, not to defend Miami. It was not kind the way they treated Manny Diaz, but it was not surprising, not because it's Miami, just because it's college athletics. And you've got Venables going to Oklahoma. So obviously I'm creating the rumor mill that uh, Diaz is going to go to Clemson and be their new defensive coordinator. I'll just put that out there. Who knows? We'll see where all this lands. Keith and I are recording this on Tuesday just for full disclosure. So whatever happened in the last 12 to 24 hours, if it has changed, if there's new coaches at any of these schools, we're not aware. And that's why we're talking like this. Here's what I was thinking, though, Keith. So anytime you change a coach, there's a chance – that you get it right. So Florida, Florida missed after Spurrier with Ron Zook, but then along came a guy named Urban. And they've missed since Urban. Apparently they had the wrong last letter. 
because they kept hiring coaches whose name started with M, right? And now they've progressed to N, but they went through Muschamp and McIlwain and Mullen, and now they have Napier. But the reality is it's a coin flip. And so as I, as I think about it, all of Florida State's rivals have, I wouldn't say disarray, but Florida changed coaches, Miami changed coaches, Clemson's going to have to hire somebody to replace Brent Venables and maybe Tony Elliott on the offensive side too. He's in the mix for jobs. And I would just think the reality is Keith, there's no way that all three of those programs are going to wind up better than what they had been. I think maybe one out of three hits the home run. And the question is, is it Miami? Is it Napier? Does Clemson just put in different parts and they're right back to being Clemson? The one hand, on the other hand, you might very well have them with Florida and Miami getting better than they had, maybe not as great as they wished, but that would not bode well for Florida State since you're going to play all these guys moving forward. And so while you can't concern yourself with that, and we've got early signing period coming up uh, in terms of recruiting, uh, I'm sure somewhere, at least in mine and your back of our minds and maybe other Florida State faithful, that's also uh, spinning around. And uh, you you will on any program per se. I just don't want them beating Florida State. And as a result, I hope they do well. But um, it does it makes you a little concerned, I would think. Well, I'll say this. I don't Florida State fans may not want to hear this. Probably won't. Most of them. I think Miami getting better actually is good for FSU for two reasons. It either the the rivals getting better forces FSU to make sure that it's all in as much as it can be to improve its game. But, but from a Miami standpoint, the ACC this year has nobody in the playoff. We know the, the state of the TV contract. It needs somebody besides Clemson to be carrying its weight. And the best way to get there if you're the ACC is for FSU and Miami to be the Atlantic and the Coastal Champs, as was envisioned when Miami joined the All-Canes Conference and has proceeded to not win anything since joining. There's no question. Now, again, if you're a diehard diehard Seminole fan, you're going to have to get past the fact that you want your rivals to be winless and you beat them 60 to nothing. That may help you feel better, but that doesn't help the the program at Florida State. And as you've mentioned, certainly does not help the conference. You know, the, the ACC has been very competitive this year, but the downside of that is there's nobody really good. And even when Florida State and or Clemson were dominating, you got more attention because the upper echelon was really good than anybody gives credit to the ACC for being competitive. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that Wake and Pitt are playing in the championship game. Sorry, they just don't. Well, and that's evidenced by the TV ratings, which show that the AAC championship game outdrew the ACC championship game in terms of eyeballs last week. And that's why it's important for Miami – to return to being a national brand. And I'm not suggesting become what they were. They're never going to become what they were when they're competing for national championships every year and winning five over whatever that time span was. But if they could get to where they compete for the coastal, and then you've got Miami in the mix, in the conversation, in the top 20, it does make a difference in terms of perception of the ACC. And the same is true, obviously, if Florida State gets back there, when Florida State gets back And the bottom line is you can then have a a team that has one loss if we stay at four in the playoff. You can still have a one-loss team that can make the playoff, like we've seen the SEC being able to do. Yeah, you cannibalize each other some, and yeah, there's some programs, there's some 
Texas A&M and Arkansas and soon to be Oklahoma and Texas folks and certainly Auburn and Tennessee and go on down the line that are a little bit frustrated because their teams haven't competed in the SEC championship game and obviously haven't made the playoffs. But we're talking about the SEC a lot more than the ACC, and, and that used to not be the case. Well, let me rephrase. The difference in the conversation used to not be as wide or as deep. Diving deeper on Miami, so the difference with what Miami's done this time around is they have invested, and there are reports that they're going to continue to invest. They've got big booster backing. They're diverting money from their health center to invest it in football on a recurring basis to the tune of 20 to 30 million more per year is what's being reported. I don't know where the line is at now, so I don't know how that compares to what FSU is spending. Ultimately, time will tell if, if that's the case. But if you think back, Keith, this is now the third time in about the last, whatever the math is, seven or eight years that Miami feels like they've hit a home run with their coaching hire. It started with Mark Rick, one of their own when they brought him home. And then Manny Diaz, didn't play at Miami, but he had coached there. Obviously, he went to FSU, but he's from Miami. Right, right. Native son. They thought they'd hit a home run. And so now we have that same story playing out again with Mario Cristobal, who played for two national title teams in 89 and 91, a native son who's back home. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. And, of course, that's one of the things the naysayers, when they look at the Florida hire with Coach Napier, you know, there were plenty of folks out there saying, you know, we probably ought to look at, if we're Florida, we ought to look at someone that's been through our program, been here before or both. And and not, neither of those were necessarily as true. Um, but still, you know, didn't hurt Alabama, didn't hurt uh, Georgia. Well, from the standpoint that Kirby had played there, I guess I, I can't say that. But uh, didn't hurt Alabama, has uh, not hurt A&M. Uh, you know, it's it's just an interesting dynamic. It is completely different. Obviously, it's different than when you and I were in school. But, Tommy, it's, it's completely different than five years ago. Yeah, the landscape has changed so much. Well, Miami and Florida made opposite decisions. Miami went for somebody else who's from the Kane family. Florida went the opposite direction. They just had somebody who Dan Mullen didn't go there, but he had coached there and was associated with Tebow and national championships. So they stayed in the Florida family. And it failed. Now they've gone out of it and they've gone to get somebody who's on that Nick Saban tree, which is a huge old live oak. That's, you know, it's going to be 300 years before he retires and it's got enough branches all over. But none of them have proven to be Nick Saban the second just yet, as evidenced by Saban versus Kirby Smart last week. Just yet. Uh, You know, it it, it's amazing what Alabama has been able to do. And uh, all you can do is just shake your head and acknowledge it. So I think as we look at this, I mean, Miami and Florida are both paying their head coaches significant dollars. And Florida State needs to get its football-only facility built. And Michael Alford and the Boosters are working on that to get there from a facility standpoint. But Florida State has not lagged in the coaching salary space. Now, right now, Norvell doesn't measure up to those two. But remember, if you think that FSU can't afford 8 or $9 million a year for a coach, they're paying Willie Taggart still three or four million a year. So they're basically in that same neighborhood with what they're paying their head football coach right now. Anyway, Agreed. when Taggart comes off the books, if Norvell has continues to show the positive trajectory, it'll be right in line with when he's due an extension and the dollars will be there to match that. Now I'm not suggesting Florida state can go to 12, 15 million or whatever USC and LSU want to get to, but Florida state can still stay in the neighborhood in terms of coaches salaries. What about the growing sentiment and I'm I'm getting on this bandwagon, or at least I'm bouncing along with one foot on the trailer and one bouncing on the road about 
we've got to change this. You know, you've got a salary cap from the player's perspective in all three of your major sports. Um, why can't, when will, can it ever happen where we have some form of a cap on compensation that college coaches, we've got a cap on the number that can be on the field, but we do not have a cap on their compensation. Should we, would we, will we? So first of all, from a technical standpoint here, Keith, I'm not sure what you're hitting, but your mouth is moving and only every third word is coming out, just so you know. But what you're proposing is a cap on coaches' salaries, and uh, you wouldn't even have to set a cap. If you could pay the players, then people would stop investing in the coaches and the money would be split among the players. And then we'd be talking about, why well, Alabama's paying guys $5 million and Florida State can only afford $1 million or whatever the, whatever the math would be. The answer is, Keith, there's too many fiefdoms and I don't see any incentive for the ones at the top, which is the Big Ten and the SEC, to say, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's all merge into this one super conference and have one commissioner who makes the determination that here's what you can spend on your coaches and here's what you can spend on your analysts and blah, blah, blah. Somebody has to go selfless instead of selfish on that, and I don't see how that's going to happen. Nor do I. I'm just saying that that is an issue going forward. How about the deal that we just got announced for Texas, where everyone up to 16, every one of their offensive linemen is guaranteed $50,000 a year as part of their NIL agreement. Doesn't matter what your name is, doesn't matter how good you are, this matters that you're there and you're going to get paid $50,000 a year. There's still so one cap that does exist is the number of players on scholarship. And if you took that away, then that would really be a problem. But right now, as long as that cap exists, only so many guys can get paid at that level. And the others, many of whom are still good players, are going to have to go elsewhere to, to, to get lesser paid or to get playing time. But you got coaches complaining all the time that 85 is too small a number. We need to increase that because of the increased games we're playing and what we're requesting and, and demanding of kids. Unless you think that's not. When in 1972 or 73, up until then, there was not a cap. First cap came in at 105. That was my group. We could have 105, and then that got reduced to 85. Back to an earlier question, and we won't be able to solve any of this, but you talk about the super conference, if you're not careful and you wait too long, Tommy, to form that super conference, you're not going to have 64 or 48. You're only going to have 24 or 20 because the distance is just getting too great too quickly. Let's go to break on that point, and I'll come back and react to that. We are just getting started here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. All right, KJ. I don't have answers. We're, we're very good at identifying the issues once again, however. To your point, I, I I don't disagree with what you're saying before the break there, that uh, the, the, there, there's more for the haves, and, and that gap with the have-nots is getting wider. Really what you're suggesting is the Big Ten and SEC should merge because they've got all the money and everybody else should be in the second tier. FSU well, fans don't want to hear that. No, not at all. But, but let's be fair. Programs, universities, presidents, chancellors, provosts, you know, the higher-ups, are going to have to start making some decisions about whether – 
um, collegiate football as it's continuing to grow is something they want to continue to participate in. I wonder, Bottom Keith, line. yeah, I wonder, and this is more related to coaches changing at the 11th hour and then bringing some of their commits and their current players with them. And now that we have this transfer portal, I don't, I don't think coaches are in favor of this. Certainly they're not. And they always have leverage. But if, if you, if you took that early signing period back to where we thought it might land initially before it was created in August, then when Lincoln Riley changes and goes to USC right now, uh, he might still go back and get some of his former players, but you're not in the middle of the recruiting cycle where he's going to take his commits with him to the new school. So that that might solve some of that problem. But again, I think coaches like the way this new period has gone because they can bring recruits in for official visits for their biggest football games when they've got the best atmosphere on campus. But I'm going to disagree with you on one point, though, Tommy. If I am an incoming senior and I sign August 15th and I commit to Florida State, and Coach Norvell leaves at the end of that year, I just go in the portal. So the timing doesn't matter. I've never even showed up on campus yet. I'll just go into the portal if that's what's required because I've got an easy mechanism to do it, and everybody starts all over again. Yeah, you're right. So from that standpoint, the signing date doesn't really matter. I don't think – if you think about when we when we focused on that first Wednesday in February, the official visits were always in January. In Florida State for years, they built their big visit weekend around the football banquet. Well, think about how boring that is compared to building your big football weekend around Miami FSU when you win on fourth and the 14 in the last seconds. Oh, and thanks, too, that they built it around men's basketball, and for a long time that wasn't near as good as it's been under Coach Leonard Hamilton, so that wasn't even a big draw until here the last uh, 10, 12, 15 years. Yeah, you're right. I I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's I guess the craziest thing, just to wrap this up, we'll go to soccer in our next segment, and we'll talk uh, Florida State, obviously, in the midst of uh, – potentially landing a new athletics director, which we haven't talked about. We'll get to that later in the program. To, to wrap things up, it, it's crazy to sit here right now when Mike Norvell's been at FSU for two years, Keith, and to think that he's he and Florida State are the most stable program in the state. In he's terms the of the least, tenure. The least, yeah. He's the longest tenure of the big three, if you can believe it. Yeah, and that's that's nuts. And Florida State is going to wind up with a good recruiting class. I don't know how many of the, the dominoes are going to fall the right way by a week from today when early signing day starts. But Florida State's going to be in the top 15, maybe the top 10. And I don't see how you can do any better than that, really, based on where you're coming from in the last four or five years. I was going to say, and given the fact that you couldn't get face-to-face until what? April, May, June of this year? Uh, Everything had been done virtually uh, prior to that. I don't have any question about the recruiting capability of this coaching staff. I have very little question overall about their ability to develop players. Um, There may be one or two uh, of the staff members that that are not as good as the rest. That's okay. That happens in every program. But I I thoroughly believe that Coach Norvell has mapped out and put in place from a foundation standpoint the items and and the mythology and thought process and mental, physical, and emotional development, as well as the physical and on the field that, that will take this program forward. The question just simply becomes, what's college football going to look like two years, three years, five years from now? And do you make the right, stu- uh, right strategic tw- uh, decisions? Can't get that word out, apologize, uh, as you go forward. That waskly wabbit got in your way there, Keith, trying to finish that sentence. I thought I saw a pretty bird. <laughs> the uh, 
We'll finish up here. I, I haven't done a total head count, but when you look at Florida State's football opponents next year, LSU's got a new coach. Miami's got a new coach. Florida's got a new coach. Clemson's going to have a new D quarter, and maybe both boards are new. Georgia Tech had to fire three or four assistants, and they're on the home schedule next year. So we have Virginia Tech next year. I don't even know. Yeah, Tech is on the schedule. Tech's on the home schedule next year. It's a good home schedule. All right, we'll uh, go back to soccer. They are the uh, three-time national champs now. Conversation about that is up next on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles, the Florida State soccer team back in town on Tuesday night to celebrate their national championship. And I'm with one of the stars, Jalen Howell. 24 hours after the fact, has it sunk in? Uh, not really. I think we're all, you know, pretty tired. We we spent a lot of time with our family and friends last night, um, you know, just really enjoying this win because we know how hard it is to not only get to the national championship, but, you know, winning it. Um, you know, last year we came up short and, and this year, um, winning it is even sweeter, and I, I couldn't be more proud of this team. You had two runs at it in the same year. I know it was bitter what happened last year because you were the better team that night against Santa Clara. So how much did that stick with you throughout the entire season and the match against BYU? I think, you know, it was always in the back of our heads, and we, we came up short, and we knew that feeling of losing the national championship, and we didn't want that feeling again. So when we went into PKs, we had the confidence um, in our preparation this whole year to know that, you know, we were prepared for PKs. We were prepared for this game. We were going to come back with a trophy um, for Florida State University and this community that supported us so much. I'm curious when you get to PKs, can you overthink the situation on which way you should kick? I know there's a lot of research that goes into that, or do you just say, you know what, this is my best shot, this is where it's going? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, 90% of PKs is, is mental. And so that's why you need a, a great staff and, and great teammates and friends to support you because, um, you know, and uplift you because it is 90% mental. And, um, you know, that, that's what we had. And, and that in practice is, is what makes a great PK. And so, you know, we have great support and we have great practice and preparation. And that's all we needed for those PKs. And we executed them perfectly. Talking with Jalen Howell from the Florida State soccer team. Well, how about the uh, the teammate of yours that does a pretty nice job stopping the PKs? <laughs> uh, okay, is a rock. I mean, um, we're so fortunate to have her, and um, you know, uh, we also have you know Mia, our other other keeper. You know, they're both great. They both push each other, and but Roque is rock solid in there. And you know, we wouldn't have been able to to win this whole tournament without her and her amazing saves. Not only in the PKs, but just throughout the entire tournament. And, you know, um, she's super calm under pressure, and I think it, it just brings a calmness over the, the rest of the team. And um, I'm so proud of her, and she has a great future in front of her. What are you going to miss about Florida State soccer as you move on? Um, that's a hard question because this is my home, you know. Um, over the past four years, this is became my home and, and my, my family and my community and um, so I, I think what I'm going to miss the most, kind of like what I mentioned, is just the relationships that I've built, um, you know, with staff members, my teammates, the community, faculty, everybody. Um, they've supported me so much, and I'm so grateful to them and, and this community. And um, I, I'm just going to miss being able to be around it every day and, um, you know, lean on them and have them and, and uh, help them as well. So 
I'm, I'm definitely going to miss just the overall relationships that I've had here. What are the lessons you're going to take away from playing for Florida State soccer? Um, <laughs> there's so many. Um, Mark and his family has become like my second family here. And um, just the way that he's helped and supported me and grew me into the player and the person that I am today um, is, is amazing. Um, you know, I came in and, you know, I was a good player, but, you know, he, he created a, a great player just with time and professionalism and, and dedication. And, um, I'm, I'm so grateful to him. And, you know, not only that, but off the field, he's an amazing person, an amazing leader. And I've learned so much from him and him taking me under my wing, his wing is, is I'm, I'm just, I, I couldn't have learned from anybody better. If memory serves, your, your dad was a pro football player. Is professional the right word to describe how Mark Krikorian runs his program? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it doesn't get more professional than this. And that's why I chose, you know, this program in the first place is if, if you want to be a pro soccer player, if you want to be an elite soccer player, you come to Florida State. And um, I think that we, you know, we've proved that. And, and Mark proves that in the way that he coaches every day and the way that the coaching staff, um, you know, day in and day out help the team grow and individual players grow and, um, you know, I, I like I said, I, I think that, you know, with my dad being a pro- professional athlete, too, I've seen um, kind of what it takes and I've heard what it takes from him. And, you know, Mark implements that in this team every day. Jalen Howe from the Florida State National Champion Soccer Team. Enjoy it. Thank you so much. A three-time national championship soccer program, I should point out. Congrats to the Knowles. Keith and I will be back to wrap up Front Row Knowles momentarily. Florida State Soccer celebrates yet another national championship as they flew back from California and celebrated Tuesday night at the Champions Club. And we're back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. As we finish up on Front Row Knowles, our final segment, still plenty of time to go, but congratulations again to the soccer team. I had the opportunity to host their festivities as they literally got off the plane from Santa Clara, California, went right over to the Champions Club to to celebrate. And uh, it is truly a dynasty, Keith, what Mark Kerkorian's put together. The way that the program has been built with his, his vision, you know, you go all the way back to the way they play defense. I mean, this you don't talk about this much in soccer, but this is a defensive-minded program. Uh, as much as they play spread out and then take their their opportunities to attack, um, the ability that he's had to recruit and retain quote unquote international players by his willingness to allow them to continue to compete for their home countries, their home clubs, that type of thing. I mean, it's just a unbelievably well thought out program. He doesn't get the credit it deserves. Women's uh, soccer doesn't get the credit it deserves, although it's growing. And what he's been able to accomplish is just absolutely remarkable, Tommy. You know, as I think about it, Keith, and we'll go back to to football and the AD search here in a minute. He's, I guess he's the most decorated coach that Florida State has. Has any other coach won three championships? Bob Brayman won three with track, and then the NCAA came and took one back. But I don't know that there's another coach that's won three as I'm doing the math in my head. I don't think there is. 
Well, here's where we need our good friend Dick Roberts because he would be able to spit that out just off the top of his uh, head, off the tip of his tongue. But I, I agree with you. I think this is the first three-time, potentially continuing three-time. Uh, again, repeating myself and words are not, I'm not doing justice with my words to how significant this accomplishment is. Well, and and uh, Brayman, uh, he won't say it, but I'll say it for him. There needs to be an asterisk there because he should still have his third for that run they had. But that's another topic for another day. I'll finish on this, and I used this line last night when I introduced him, Keith. Um, coach K, Mark Krikorian. There, there's another Coach K that I think most folks are familiar with in the sport of basketball. Well, that Coach K has been to 12 Final Fours in 41 years at Duke. FSU's Coach K has been to 11 Final Fours in 17 years at FSU. Now, I know the depth of field is different in women's soccer compared to men's college basketball, but you get the point. Numbers don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive numbers. All right, so the news this week, and again, folks, if you're just tuning in, Keith and I are actually uh, recording this on, on Tuesday evening. And so I don't know what's broken about Florida State's director of athletic search. Uh, what broke over the weekend, I guess Friday even, is that Florida State was interested in, in Louisville's AD, Vince Tyre. And that led to, on the Louisville side, many of the Cardinal faithful were basically saying good riddance. Some appreciated them. Many said, here you go. Get at. Of course, now let's, let's footnote this because he did play and attend the University of Kentucky. He was a baseball player there, and he's the AD at Louisville. So that would be akin, Keith, to you or I being the AD or in a prominent position at the University of Florida. Uh, there's, there's not going to be a lot of wiggle room or, or grace uh, if something goes wrong. You know what I'm saying? There's two interesting components uh, in this um, scenario. Should Florida State be successful? If, if they choose, that's who they want, and if they're successful in landing, Tyree. Uh, number one, he's only been an athletic director for three years. He came from private business. The best thing that's happened to him is that David Coburn has been the athletic director at Florida State for the last few years, having been put in that position when Stan Wilcox left for the NCAA with David not having any prior AD experience. So Florida State faithful don't necessarily have that as a stumbling block. Second of all, the mess that he inherited at Louisville, not just in terms of balance and budget, but they had fraud. They had fraudulent monies going out of the foundation and other places that he had to come in and literally, you know, repair the dam and put it back together and had to make two significant coaching hires during his early time at Louisville. I think both of those qualities are such that he certainly is a worthy candidate. There will be naysayers. There will be those that complain. Uh, and I know there's a couple of other names that have been thrown about that are people that Florida State faithful may be familiar with, or certainly uh, you and I are familiar with, uh, one of them being Jeff Puritan. But um, I, don't, I don't see this as being bad in very many ways, and I see it as being good if the Florida State is truly interested in him and is successful in landing him. I think this is a great hire. Ultimately, time will tell. He had to hire a basketball coach at Louisville. Chances are, if he was to come here, you're going to be hiring a basketball coach in the next, what do you think, five years for Leonard? Maybe not. I don't know how long he plans to coach. You're hopefully not hiring a football coach or having to make a decision there because the trajectory is good. Your baseball coach uh, has a tremendous recruiting class, and, and and he's not going anywhere. So, uh, ultimately, you'll be judged on on those sort of decisions. 
I do think you're right. There, there will be naysayers. Uh, so uh, from the upside to continue your, your, your thought process here, Keith, you, the business background is not a bad thing because we're in a day and age where you need to figure out how else can we generate revenue? Um, I was thinking about this and, and I'll get back to what, in my opinion, Florida state fans and faithful have wanted for a while. It predates me. I don't know the answer to this question, but when is the last time that FSU hired a sitting AD from a power five school? Because David Coburn hadn't been an AD, and Stan Wilcox had not been an AD. He had been a number two. And Randy Spetman had been an AD, but he was at Utah State and Air Force. And Dave Hart came from East Carolina. And if you go before Dave Hart, you're back in the Bob Goyne era. And I don't remember Bob was from Pennsylvania. I don't remember his stop before here, but I don't think it was as an AD. And before that was Hootie Ingram, who went to Alabama, but I don't know where Hootie started. So the point is, a guy that's been a sitting AD for four years at a power five school in the ACC, which means he has connections and relationships around the league that you're in. That's not necessarily bad. Not at all. And, uh, you know, I think Hootie uh, coach Ingram comes as close as anyone, because I think he came from the SEC conference office, which again is not a sitting AD position, but in theory uh, would be quote unquote, a step higher, maybe in by some estimation, but you're exactly right. Uh, but again, given his background, given experience, what he's been able to accomplish, Tyree we're speaking of, and and literally the stuff I've begun to read about the divide in Louisville between the ones that liked him and the ones that didn't like him, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's an interesting, you know, thing. You got you got all kinds of factions there relative to particularly uh, Patino having to leave. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the fraudulent aspect of, you know, getting the budget back in place. Well, and the NCAA uh, issues they had too. And the NCAA issues uh, and ongoing issues. And I guess in terms of probation, uh, prob- prohibition and probation and penalties, you know, it's just interesting. I like the hire. I'm, if it happens, I'm happy with it. Here's to me what Florida state has not had in, in years at this position. And uh, you know, internally, uh, if you talk to co- coaches, want somebody that is going to listen to them. And when you say my program needs X, they're going to find a way to go get you X or at least make an honest effort to get it done. Um, but I think when you look at the fan base, when Dave and not everybody liked Dave Hart, let's be clear. Uh, Dave had his detractors too, but Dave had an, a voice on the national stage. And so if there was an issue like take name, image, likeness, he's somebody that national media might reach out to and he'd be quoted. And so you read an article, whether it's Andrea Adelson from ESPN or David Hale or whatever the outlet is. And from time to time, you'd see the Florida state director of athletics in that conversation. And and we haven't had that for a very long time. And I also think one thing that Dave did, and this has not been a skill set or a strong suit of the last several ADs, he would hold a press conference when was needed and he would speak to things. And I'm not saying that you would want to make a habit of this, but for example, nobody, uh, generally speaking, most thought that the officiating was really not that great in the FSU Boston College football game. Now, FSU won it, so this is maybe not the best example. But Dave, from time to time, would at least hold a press conference, not to berate the refs, but to at least talk through, okay, here's what we do. We're, we Believe me, we've let our voice be heard in Greensboro. We've done X, Y, and Z. We do this every year. And so I I guess what I'm saying is that the, the fans haven't felt like they necessarily have an advocate publicly because the, the, the folks that have been ADs have not been out in the public that much. The other issue that is very akin to that, they're like parallel things, 
is the ability for the athletic director to go out and raise money on his own. And prior uh, ADs have relied very heavily and, and appropriately on boosters and friends of the program and friends of the school to do that, but you know haven't necessarily been strong in their own right in their own circle of people to be able to go and raise significant dollars by their own personality. Um, don't know where Tyree speaks and sits in that situation, but certainly having been in business for the years that he has, we give an opportunity there maybe. And maybe that's not important anymore. Maybe maybe coordinating the raising of money, and of course with what Mike brings to the table on the booster side, just phenomenal with his experience and his background. So maybe that's not as high a priority as uh, some would make it and some have complained about it. Well, ultimately, the, the judgment is going to come based on football success and getting the new ops building put together, the football-only facility and how you do there. Your, your hires, especially from the revenue-producing sports, if you're forced to make hires, that's where you get judged. I was just thinking I mentioned that Dave Hart press conference. Do you remember? It must have been in 96 between the FSU-Florida game and then the rematch over in New Orleans that we don't have to discuss when there was the echo of the whistle comments and Spurrier was talking to basically saying Florida state plays dirty and Dave Hart called a press conference. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing to say that Steve Spurrier should be spanked like a little baby and put to bed or something like that. Well, it's <laughs> even better than that. He's, he needs to be spanked like a little baby, change his diaper, put his passy in his mouth and send him to bed. <laughs> <laughs> which you can or debate something like that. <laughs> you can debate the merits of whether an AD really should come out and say that, but it resonated with the Florida State fan base at the time he did it. Wrong or indifferent. Yeah, but I think but but Dave going back to that was somebody that you could have that conversation with about NIL or about the TV contract. Not that he can spill stuff that's proprietary, but he he could give you something about, well, here's what we're trying to do and and he was just he was plugged in and now, now others would argue maybe he just liked the attention. You know, I realize everybody's got a point of view on that. That's Dave Hart's story, and I'll make it quick. Is I had gone down to Sunshine Network, Sun Sports, and met with the uh, director down there. And I simply asked the question, how come we don't do every game? We did all the home games and selected away games. And the executive director at the time, or executive, whatever, forget his name, said, because Florida State hasn't asked us. Well, I left Orlando about one o'clock right after lunch, about 1.30, and drove straight to Dave Hart's office. Walked right in the old Moore Center. Went up and was it Judy? Was that his secretary's name way back in the day? Yep. I said, Judy, I need to see A.D. Hart. And, well, he's tied up. I said, this is important. If you don't mind, all right, if you don't mind waiting. I walked in his office about 5.30, 5.35. I said, Dave, blah, 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 blah. They said all we have to do is ask. He did not tell me goodbye, get out, or leave. He turned around and picked up the phone, made the call. And that's when we started doing games, all, all games for Sunshine Network, Sun Sports. He would make something happen. Well, Keith, I owe you a little bit more than just the post-game beers you bought me over the years. Thanks for sharing that tale. <laughs> I'm sure it was more complicated than that, but that's my version. Yeah, that actually speaks to a larger thing related to Florida State. Uh, when you get in the debates about Florida State versus Florida and the mentality, FSU was too nice to ask for it, right? So we're sitting yeah. on the sidelines well, simply yeah. because we were being polite, waiting for them to ask us instead of going and saying, no, we demand this. Well played, well said, and true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, I don't know when that transition will come. Again, uh, we're talking on Tuesday evening, so I don't know what's transpired since then. Uh, I, I, I do know that people will be divided on it as we're divided on everything these days. Uh, 
the the bigger challenge there is is uh, uh, convicting somebody before we've seen any of the evidence. You know what I mean? Like like whoever it is, let them get in their job and let's figure it out. Uh, and, th- and then go from there. I-, I do know that they've vetted several candidates. And, and uh, if this is where it lands, it's where it lands. And, and we and we move on. I will say um, Florida State has been very fortunate in ways that the, the rank and file fans will never understand uh, to have had David Coburn in that seat during the time he's been in that seat with his experience, um, with his patience. Uh, although he's not always patient, he can get some things done too uh, when he chooses to make his mind up. But just the stability, I guess the best word is steadfastness that he brought uh, has been remarkable during his time there, particularly given the fact that that was his first time being involved in athletics in just about any way other than just being a fan. And of course, his loyalty to Florida State over 50 years, three degrees and everything else he's done around here. Well, and not necessarily appreciated in the athletics department because it's been a tough morale time with the but he came in, he's the budget guy that that had to make the budget work, and that's never a guy that's going to be popular if that's what you're tasked with doing. So not at all. But it's what was needed, you know, if you can take a step back, and I know there are plenty that can't because it affected them um, personally or expect, uh, affected family members, and I respect that. But in the bigger picture, uh, he was the right man for the job at that time, and I thought he executed. I think he executes it very, very well. That is well said. Keith, we have uh, run out of time. A week from signing day. We'll do this again next week. Until then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.